Welcome to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Carol Perlman, a psychologist, health coach, and married mom of two boys. I went from a frazzled working mother who hit snooze until the last possible moment to a vibrant business owner who jumps out of bed at 5 a.m. excited about my day. I once felt completely overwhelmed by my endless task list, but have learned to work smarter, not harder, by studying health habits, mindset, and time management. I love to teach others how to implement top recommendations for health, happiness, and success. Yes, busy moms can follow a nutrition plan that supports their goals, create a daily exercise routine, and stay on top of their to-do list, and go to bed feeling fantastic about the day. Tune in each week as I share my best strategies for creating and sustaining daily habits for a healthy lifestyle, and chat with other experts in the health and wellness industry. Now on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Carol Perlman, and I'm so glad that you have joined me for another episode. I am kicking off season two of the podcast and am excited to have my first guest of the season, Dr. Alessandria Polizzi. So welcome, Al. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much. I can't wait for us to get into your story today. So um, Dr. Al, as she likes to be called by those who know her well, is a really fascinating person that I recently crossed paths with. And um, we have an interesting overlap in our area of interest. And her focus is on workplace wellness. And for my listeners, they know, know that that is the exclusive focus of my work at this point. And so I'm really excited for us to dive into that a little bit more. And um, so why don't we start by wanting to tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing now, but back us up and tell us how you got there, sort of where you started and how you got into the work that you're doing now. Yeah, happy to do that. So um, my background is I used to be uh, an HR executive. I've been in HR for 20 years uh, plus. Uh, my most recent position, I was the head of HR for the fourth largest veterinary hospital company in the U.S. And so as being in HR, you get a front row seat to lots of dysfunction and ways in which organizations um can create havoc uh, on the individuals that we employ. And I became one of them. I burned out, completely crashed, um, did not realize how bad it was until my husband and my mother were having meetings about my mental health without me. Um, and that was my signal to do something different. And so I started looking for a solution to help me build new skills, understand what was happening, do things differently. I wasn't able to find anything. And so um, as I also turned 50 at that time and decided that uh, I was going to give myself th three months of doing whatever I wanted um, as my gift to myself because turning 50 during a pandemic was awful. Um, and so that's what I did. And I started researching this topic, quickly realized the plethora of research, um, as I say, caught in the miasma of academia. Um, and decided to take what I know how to do, which is help people learn skills, to help them learn skills and capabilities around creating psychologically healthy and safe workplaces. And so um, I'm now the global liaison for ISO on psychological health and safety. I'm working with the, the lobbying organization here in Massachusetts um, that's actually focused on the 32 states that are considering legislation 
around having a psychologically healthy and safe workplace. And we just published our first book um, called The Workplace Mental Health Strategy Workbook to help organizations, specifically my fellow HR brothers and sisters, um, build the business case, build the strategy. So we go from swatting flies and kind of doing the latest thing, which recent articles are now showing don't work, but the data also told us that, you know, a long time ago, um, so that they can actually build a proactive strategy to create a healthy, safe, and thriving workplace. I think this work that you were doing is so powerful. It is a tough world out there. And, you know, in almost any industry, the employees are feeling it. And money is not overly abundant. And so there's just not enough done to protect the well-being of, of one's organization. And so I think this work that you're doing is so incredible. From my standpoint, I, I have been trying to do it one by one, you know, with my listeners and with my social media platforms. And I think that's great. I like to hang out in that space, but you know, there's, there are so many more levels that we can take advantage of to specifically address wellness in the workplace because it goes hand in hand with one's own personal wellness. So I think this work is incredible and I'm so appreciative of what you are doing. Thank you. And you were a uh, front seat passenger, as they say, right? So um, I have, you know, as they call it, lived experience. Yeah, I was just going to say, there's no better way to learn something than to live it and have your own firsthand experience to really inform how you try to help others and your story is so fascinating. I mean, I relate to this. I turned 50, um, you know, recently as well. A lot of my listeners have as well. And it's an interesting time of year and, or time of life. And so I know lots of people have asked themselves the question, what would I like, you know, for my 50th birthday? What do I want to do? Do I want to go with, away with friends? Do I want to go away with my significant other? And I have to say, I've never heard anyone say that they are going to give themselves the gift of three months to do whatever the heck they want. And so when you ever mentioned that to me, my ears picked, perked up and I was like, I need to know more about this. So tell us how that came to be. Well, um, I had the fortunate situation of having just signed the severance papers for my position. So mm. I could have been spending that three months trying to find a job, but I was in such a, a difficult mental health space that I just decided that instead of me leaping to the next thing, I wanted to spend time getting to know who I am and what do I want to do? How do I want to live for the next the, the back half of my life? And I hadn't had time by myself just contemplating since college, right? So um, to be able to take space and, you know, it's funny, you said with your significant other, with girlfriends, I did it with me. I mm -hmm. spent the time with me. And so I didn't isolate. I didn't like go off into a cave, um, but I just followed whatever instincts came up. I also struggled every single day because I have been taught, as have all of us, of what success looks like and what mm -hmm. failure looks like and how, especially someone who is an executive and we have a single income family. So anything that I do impacts our ability for my family to function um, because we have no other stream of income. And so I had never done anything that was just for me because of the 
responsibilities that I have mm-hmm. for the family. But I uh, was sitting there with my husband, um, kind of as we were thinking about what the next phase looks like. I literally signed my severance papers the day before my 50th birthday. And I thought this is a little too on the nose yep. to just ignore. Like, that's yeah. just a like I would call that bad writing that was in a film. Like, is it always? Does it that literally the day before? And I had pulled into my doctor's office and um, to get her to sign off on some papers I needed and um, had the severance papers in the car. And I looked up and someone had painted, you know, people paint on rocks and they, mm-hmm. they have this. And uh, I live in a town called Sharon. And someone had written share on this rock that was just sitting there on this fence. Okay. Again. Mm-hmm. A sign. <laughs> yep. I'm not that dense. Like I picked up on it. Right. So I was like, okay, so this needs to be something I do differently. And so I decided, I don't know why I picked three months. I felt like three months felt, I don't know. Yeah. Point, yeah. I don't know. Um, and so that's what I decided to do. So what, what did day-to-day life look like when you had no parameters and could do whatever you wanted? What, what kinds of things did you end up doing? Um, before I go into that, I also want to recognize that this ability to do this comes from a place of privilege. Yeah. And I recognize that at the time, I recognize that now. I was fortunate enough to have something to be able to live on. So I'm not going to sit here and say everyone can or yep. you know somehow feel badly if you can't devote that time. Many of us are in situations where that's not an option. Yep. Well said. And my hope is that um, there may be some people who might be in a position to do that and will be inspired to do so. And then there are others who won't, but will be able to take the lessons that you learned and benefit from the lessons you learned as you were able to do that. Yeah. So I just, um, I really wanted to tap into kind of um, past versions of myself. So my, I used to be an English professor. Um, and before that, I, I was actually a poetry major. And so I started writing poems again. I started journaling. Journaling was a big part of my process. Um, And I did not judge my journaling. I did not have a goal with my journaling. I did nothing as far as I wanted to achieve X, Y, or Z. I just organically detached myself as much as possible from outside judgment um, and explored and, and tenderly cared for every ridiculous idea and spontaneous thing that I thought was brilliant at the time. I now look it back and go, oh my gosh. But at the time, I, I just gave myself the freedom to be myself. And um, I kind of think about it as for so many years, I have felt like I had to dim my light for other people. Um, and I wanted to see how bright my light could shine. And so if I felt like doing something about Emily Dickinson when you feel down, okay. <laughs> if I was just going to paint today, today I'm painting. Uh, and I woke up when I felt like waking up. I ate when I felt like eating. Um, I kind of think about it like, you know, that time period between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. the Yes. The, the time warp. Yeah. Three months of that. Yeah. We have no idea what day it is, what time it is. Yeah. I'm wearing pajamas because I felt like wearing pajamas. I just, whatever. Mm -hmm. I love how you said that tapping into past versions of yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, you know, 
I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I have been feeling very nostalgic lately. Maybe it's turning 50. Maybe it's like my kids going through high school. It brings back a lot of memories Mm -hmm. going through the college application process makes me just very nostalgic. And so I've been thinking a lot about my younger self in different phases of life. And I love how you put that, that there's something to embrace about that. Embrace those earlier versions of yourself. Yeah. I mean, there's... um... I don't know if you've ever watched that show, Shit's Creek, but there's oh, yes. one of the first, in the first season, they talk about taking a selfish. And so that's essentially what I was doing. I was taking a selfish, yeah. but for three months. And so, um, you know, again, I, that comes from a place of privilege. I have someone who cooks and cleans and takes care of the house, right? So um, I was able to just put myself in my room and... um sit in my papazon because I felt like sitting in a papazon. Mm-hmm. Like I just did the things. What I found about myself in that, um, I got a couple poems out of my system. Haven't written any since then. Not mm-hmm. just I haven't been inspired, but um, was that there are certain rhythms that now that I kind of let myself kind of take the lead that I still follow. So my sleep schedule is a little different. Um, I found space where I kept some of the things I did, like taking the time to check in with myself. And so I've, I've, I can talk more about how I incorporated those into now. Here we are two, three years, actually three years later. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, happy to share that as well. So, so you're, you let yourself alter your sleep pattern. You let yourself alter your eating patterns you tapped into earlier versions of yourself, especially you're, I can tell you're a creative person. So you, you allowed um, for, you know, you sort of set the stage for creativity and following whatever creative inkling you had. What did you notice in terms of the balance between socializing versus wanting alone time? Well, at the time we were in still in the throes of the pandemic. So not a lot of time for socializing. A lot of it was, you know, virtual. Um, so there's that. But I, um, and in addition to the creative part, I also read a ton of research studies on workplace mental health and mm-hmm. uh, burnout. What causes it? What can prevent it? How can we recover more, more quickly? I logged into my daughter's college library and I just downloaded everything I could get my hands on. Um I also tried to make new connections. I found people on LinkedIn I thought were interesting and scheduled 30-minute calls. I rebooted my podcast, um, which I don't do now, but I did then because I liked doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I liked meeting new people. So I just rebooted it. And if you listen to the initial episodes, they're all over the map. (laughs) They are all over the map. But I was fascinated with just exploration. And so to me, it was just everything was starting with curiosity and following the poll that often we feel like we have to shut down because of other obligations or the judgment that we put and those 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 um that dimming of our light that we put yeah. on ourselves based on outside definitions of success um and of how of should the world of should and so yeah. I really worked on letting all that go it's so true I, I think we are very much guided by the idea that there has to be a purpose. There has to be a measurable outcome of what we do to spend our precious time. And so there are so many things we say no to because we feel like it's, you know, those are not the outcomes or there is no valued outcome, but to take that away and say, just to do it just for the sake of doing 
and to enjoy the process is so liberating. It really is. Well, and, and when I defined everything by my own worth and my own definition of happiness and joy, yeah. my gift was me, mm-hmm. right? So if, if it ladders back to someone else's definition, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. What do I feel? How do I feel like, you know, what, what, what is important to me in this moment? And I had let so much, I had erased so much of that in order to conform to living this executive lifestyle, yeah. being, uh, you know, uh, a parent, all the things, right. All the rules that we, that we follow. And I just decided that that was for other people, at least during this time period, I'm not going to go, you know, live in a yurt and like, uh, walk around and only barefoot. I mean, like I've, <laughs> I said, again, I have a family to support. Yeah. So, and, I, and, and, you know, I just, that's not my life choice. Um, but if during that three months, I felt like doing that, I would have. Mm-hmm. So incredibly liberating. Um, so was there anything that really surprised you that you thought you would do, but you didn't, or the opposite things that you didn't expect you would do and then you did? Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize how much I'd go down this intellectual uh, route of I had missed. I remember I, I met with friends. I had friends in Texas. We meet with virtually, of course, during the pandemic, everyone was pretty much like that. But um, and I was I showed them I was keeping track of stuff in like a one note. And I and I pulled up all the research I had done. And one of my friends says, oh, my gosh, you were such an academic. And I I hadn't tapped into being an academic for 20, 25 years yeah so uh I was like wow yeah (laughs) all right so there's that you know so I just um I also did not anticipate how much self-shame and self-judgment and self-criticism I had become so comfortable with Mm -hmm. um can't do that because that seems silly you can't say that because people might think that you're ridiculous you can't do this because just all the can'ts and the things that Um, when I let go of those and I don't, I don't cater to those for, again, knowing there were confines around that because I have to live in the world. Um, it was very freeing and, and, and very uncomfortable. Um, because I, I think I told you before, I cried every day thinking I was a failure. Mm -hmm. Um, my first year of running this business, I doubted myself every single day day because what am I doing like we have responsibilities I have a family to support I have a career I've worked very hard to build to get to this level um what what I'm throwing it all away and um that was really hard to navigate through yeah all that chatter right all that mental chatter yeah so how did you manage that like were there any specific tools or strategies he used yes self-compassion so I mean all of this was about me trying to build more muscle around self-compassion and moving away from self-criticism to again I'm following the research here right and I'm not just reading it just for information I'm reading it because I'm trying to build different skills so what does that look like building self-compassion talking to (laughs) all the things we just talked about getting to know who you are taking a selfish, speaking to yourself with kindness, 
caring for yourself in the same way you would a loved one, mm -hmm. uh, or even considering if someone, if I was saying this to my best friend or my my fam my family, how would they see it? And starting to see myself in the same way because uh, we spend so much time. And I'm a high high achiever, right? I was straight A's in grad school, my doctorate, complete straight A's, um, because I have to be the best, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I love to be graded. I love to be graded. Give me my A's. Um, and so that comes with a lot of self-criticism and a lot of like holding myself to unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's the number one skill I actually learned wasn't time management or, um, you know, any of these other leadership capabilities that I have taught for years. It was practicing self coaching instead of self-criticism and that was pivotal for me it's just wild how intuitive it is to treat others with that compassion and how very difficult it is to have the same compassion for ourselves I hear it all the time I hear and I, and I said it I said it the first time someone mentioned self-compassion to me which is but if I do that I'll lose my edge mm. and what I've now learned is that from a neuroscience perspective from a psychology perspective um i'm actually holding myself back from being my best when i beat myself up mm -hmm. it's the opposite let the let the other people judge me um that's that that's none of my business yeah. but it is my job to take care of myself well there's a mic drop right there right <laughs> it's so much easier said than done yep yeah, I work with leaders a lot. I work with companies, right, to help them implement um, healthy work practices. And my biggest focus tends to be on leaders because they're right in the middle, right, that squeezed in middle. And the, their role has been identified by the World Health Organization as one of the 12 psychosocial hazards in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So we know that being a leader has an emotional weight, and yet we've never trained leaders on what that is, et cetera. Um, and a lot of them, it's so interesting. There's all this research about how little leaders care for themselves and how how damaging that is for their teams. Mm -hmm. So they think they're doing what's right for their teams. And yet we know that what they're doing is actually driving the opposite. Yeah. And it filters down. You know, they set the standard implicitly or explicitly. So what they are doing sets the standard for everyone underneath them. Absolutely. And also sets them up to not be great leaders. I mean, yeah. we know through research that 70% of managers are rated poorly. I can tell you that more than 30% of managers are trying to do their best. Mm -hmm. And so what's the miss here to me? And based on the research, the miss is they aren't taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we could go in that direction, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let me see if we can sum this up a little bit. So now that you are a few years out, so you eventually had to come out of the bubble. Um, Actually, I never did. <laughs> you never did. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about that. So what happened at the end of three months? Well, so I made this my job. So I had this other aha moment in the middle of this um, process where I, look, I've been in learning and development for ever, right? Since I started teaching college in 1991, 1990, I think actually, um, that I always wanted to make the world a better place through education. 
But what I found was getting paid well for that was a problem. And especially since we're a married and artist, we're a single income family for the most part. Um, and so I needed to find a more stable career that, that took me to corporate training and then corporate training became troublesome, right. From a stability and reliability perspective. And so I actually in 2016 pivoted out of learning and development into more broader HR, which is what took me, brought me to Boston, et cetera. But I had this aha moment of, I can do the thing I'm good at and my personal mission of making the world a better place through education. For myself, I don't have to do it for a company. And that helps me scale more. That's That helps me grow. And it's a thing I already know I enjoy and am mm-hmm. good at, which is writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that I, I feel like I never stopped, right? Um, and that's also part of the problem is because I have all these ideas, like how do I learn what to say no to? Um, so I just hired a COO to help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because uh, I will make T-shirts randomly. Um, so I just kind of took that energy and applied it to what's next for me. Um, and that's where we started the business. Yeah, I love that. Um, so can you, uh, you know, I like for for those of you who are listening, I like to distill points down into a little list that we, I think they stick in your brain when you can count one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> So let's see if we can distill down to five top takeaways that you learned from this experience. Yeah. So number one is don't forget who you are. Tap into that, however you want to name it, your soul, your original you, your, you know, number one, just find who you are. Um, Two, give yourself the gift of letting go of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, the gift of self-kindness, self-compassion, um, and, and practice that actively. Uh, three, um, if you can't do something like this, like I did, which I, again, it was a very specific situation, find ways to take that selfish, to make that space, um, to be curious and silly and explore. And- um, yeah, I just want to jump in and say, I think you could, one could totally do that, you know, without this extreme all in three month, you, you know, if you just set that conscious intention for the next, however long, maybe you try it for a week, try it for a month, you know, try it for three months, say, I'm going to be in, has very specific intentions about my day. You could still achieve the same thing. Yeah. You could actually just block Friday or your Friday afternoons and say, yeah. it's my, it's my effort Fridays. Yeah. Um, Never, you know, right? So my selfish Fridays, my selfish Saturdays, however you want to do it. Um, and I'm on three. So four. Um, so one of the things that um, I've learned um, in this process is part of taking care of yourself, part of self-compassion is connecting with other humans. Mm-hmm. We are social creatures. We are feeling creatures who also think. So finding others that you can connect with, that you have something that you can have these conversations with. I think many times we have these very surface relationships. We have relationships that look good um, and we don't necessarily open ourselves up to have a deeper, deeper relationships. So I would say that's a learning. And then um, 
Number five, expect that you're going to feel bad at some point because we have all been acclimated to a different way of being, to being, mm -hmm. uh, you know, however you want to frame it um, in your mind, but to certain shoulds, certain defined, uh, you know, definitions of what good looks like or success looks like or happiness looks like. And th that's that th those tend to run pretty darn deep. Mm -hmm. and, um, you may not feel great about doing this, um, at least initially. Yeah, it might feel really uncomfortable. Oh, incredibly. Yeah. And ridiculous and ridiculous. What am I doing? This is dumb. What am I, a child? I'm likening what you're describing to some of my attempts to work on a meditation practice or e anything that involves being slow and quiet is really hard for me. And so I'm always teaching break things down into tiny baby steps. And so sometimes I start with literally one minute. You know, can you lie on the floor on a yoga mat for just one minute and be quiet and be still and and just get used to that? So I'm kind of thinking of that with you, that maybe it feels too radical and too hard to spend an entire week or month. And maybe you just say for the next hour or for the next yep. 30 minutes, I'm going yep. to do whatever the heck I want without any emphasis on the outcome. That's right. And just to enjoy the journey. So you might have to start there, teeny tiny little bites, and then work on getting more comfortable with it. Yeah. And and know that some stuff is going to be a, a dead end, right? Like you're going to go do something that's not going to become your side hustle. Uh, stop making everything a side hustle. Yeah. Can I talk about mindfulness. So I'm terrible at meditating. I actually, another one of the things I did was I did a thing called messy mindfulness. Um, but I'm very great at being mindful, right? So I, what I find is that time when we're between Zoom calls or Teams or whatever, that space where you're waiting for the host to join, that's my me time. Oh, I like that. It's my self-check-in. It's usually like 30 seconds. Yeah. But I'm a fast talker. How am I doing? Oh, I'm feeling this. I'm doing that. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then usually that's enough. Um, The habit people would call that habit stacking. You know, like you're already <laughs> yep. doing that. You're already transitioning to another call. So yep. stack on top of that, okay. yep. a little check-in and you don't even really have to think about it. It just becomes yep. automatic. Another freebie is while you're brushing your teeth, by the way. That's a great one. That's a great <laughs> one. Yeah. Well, I know this gets me thinking and I hope for everyone else listening, it gets you thinking. And I really like this idea of how we can do that even amidst a regular old day, you know, without having to have this grand um, transitional opportunity, but how we can infuse what you're learning, what you learned and what you set out to learn, how we can work on that little mm -hmm. by little every day. And I know I'm definitely going to think about how I can implement your, your, not experience, your experiment um, <laughs> in my own life. So thank you so much, Dr. Al, for being here today and sharing these, your experience and these ideas. Um, before we go, Let's talk about your book, um, where we can find the book and where people can find you if they want to learn more about your work. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so the book is on Amazon. It's um, the it's called Workplace Mental Health Strategy Workbook. I did not get crazy with the title, um, although it's a mouthful. And uh, it's cheap. It's like 22 bucks on um, Amazon. And it's a nice, dense workbook. So it's it's a the the goal was... You know, as I'm thinking about my former role as an HR leader, um, where would I need to start? And um, probably 
thinking about workplace mental health sounds intimidating and scary. And we've been told not to talk about those things anyway. Um, and so this gives you facts, figures, frameworks, all peer reviewed, all based on science and research. So that's how you can find and use the book. And it's fun. It's pretty and it's pretty. I cannot wait to get my hands on it. It's ordered and I am eagerly awaiting its delivery. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for your feedback. And then um, again, our website's verdantconsulting.net. I'm on, I'm actually on LinkedIn and TikTok. I'm on TikTok as your HR big sister or Dr. Al Polizzi. Um, but I, I like to, when I, when I, when I post, I post on these topics. So I share like, here's the latest research study or yeah. here's, uh, I did a series on better know a psychosocial hazard. So, um, you know, you can find me there. Okay, super. Well, thank you again for your time and sharing your wisdom and experience. And thank you to everyone for listening today. And I'll see you back next week with another episode. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Healthy Habits for Life. If you loved today's episode, please follow me on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. These are so important and will enable others like you to find this podcast. Also, please share this podcast with your friends you know would also love it so we can get the word out. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week.